0: Hey, what's up, Zach? Not much. Can you, can you hear me?
1: I can. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yes. There was some... There we go. Looks good. I appreciate you coming on, man.
1: For sure, man. I appreciate you having me. Here, I'm going to shut this light off behind me because it gives me these like, weird... Or oh, is there no video or is there video? There is video. Okay, yeah. Let me shut this light off then. Sounds good. Actually, I'm going to do this. This is what I did yesterday. I'm at like an Airbnb now, so my setup is atypical. Okay, are you
0: where are you at right now?
1: Uh, in Idaho.
0: Idaho. What are you doing out
1: there? Yeah, we're looking to maybe buy some property out here, um, potentially do like a vacation home, or eventually move out this way.
0: <clears throat> okay, you've been going into the
1: short-term rental space recently. Um. You know, like we, we do it out of convenience more so than like that's our strategy that we want to do and we think it's the best way to do things. Um, but yeah, we, we uh, my most recent house hack is going to be an Airbnb. And then, um, you know, if we end up buying a place up here, it'll be part Airbnb, part our residence. You know, we'll kind of figure it out.
0: That's awesome, man. And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, you're also an agent. That's right? Yep, that's right. Got a team of agents. <clears throat> nice man, and I know you were an employee initially.
1: I was, yeah. I used to work at Bigger Pockets, um, and then quit there like maybe almost two years ago now, January 2020. I quit there. <clears throat> okay, so you're working with
0: uh, Brandon Turner and David Green.
1: Yeah, used to work pretty closely with those guys.
0: Nice man. Yeah, so that's actually how I got exposed to you in the first place. I think it was episode 350 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And then your book was the first one I read this year, The House Hacking Strategy. Oh, nice. uh, Yeah, it's funny. One of the realtors you mentioned in that book, Joe Sadusky, he was my realtor back in New Jersey because I saw him, reached out to him on Facebook, and then we were working together.
1: Oh, no way. So that actually, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it's funny. He went to like Penn State and everything, and his name was like just one letter away, you know. Uh, (laughs) that's so we uh, always make it for that for a while i can't remember if i put that in the book or if they made me take it out but
0: yeah no it's funny it's the first thing i thought too because i went to penn state and uh so when i saw that i was like that's that's too close man you gotta change your name
1: i know i know i was like man he's got a good story and it's kind of funny um where are you at now are you in new jersey or
0: i am i should just move to charleston south carolina and i am a realtor out here
1: okay cool um who, who are you with
0: carolina one
1: carolina one realty yes real Oh, estate, i yeah. never real estate i never heard of them I suspect, okay, yeah. I suspect they're local
0: to the carolinas yeah yeah we have a uh, one thing that really sold me was being a new agent they have some great training and i went into this with some knowledge because i read books such as house hacking strategy a couple of brandon turner's books david green but until you're actually in there starting a business, it could be a bit tough to you know learn everything.
1: For sure. For sure, man. Yeah, the first year is usually tough, um, but once you kind of get things going, it, it becomes pretty fun.
0: And you started your business around your full-time job, right?
1: Yeah, so I was probably doing like two deals a month while working, and then... Um, I was like, man, I, think I can make way more money doing this than I could at my job and I don't like my job anymore. So um, yeah, I went all out in the real estate thing and, and boom, it, you know, started crushing it. So uh, that was what what we did.
0: That's awesome, man.
1: And how many units are you up to now? Um, so we probably have 20, 20 units, um, 12 or so in Denver, uh, six in North Carolina. And I got two plots of land um in florida building on one of them that's awesome where in north carolina fayetteville north carolina if you know okay so it's
0: not terribly far from here charleston's like pretty far south i mean we're only four hours from jacksonville
1: oh wow, jacksonville florida or jacksonville okay yeah i mean yeah so Fayetteville's probably like what six hours away i mean it's up the up the coast a ways um but closer than denver is that's for sure (laughs)
0: Yeah, man. And you're not from Denver initially, right?
1: No. Originally, I'm from Massachusetts. Um, Born, raised there. Went to school out there, lived in California for a bit, and uh, then moved to Colorado.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard great things about Colorado. And I know that the short-term rental and renting by the room, pretty high rents. That's right?
1: Yeah. uh, Rent by the room works really well. Um, Short-term rentals work really well as long as you're You know, there's a lot of rules that have come up recently in the last few years. So you just going to make sure that you stay up to date on the rules and and you're not, you know, yeah, you you want to make sure that you're not losing, like, like, you know, you're going against any government regulations because you could get shut down and that would be the end of you. So.
0: Yeah. It seems to be a, a common theme I've noticed in real estate is they're very focused on compliance, but coming from a corporate background, it's nothing really new. I mean, we were taking compliance trainings like once every two weeks, it
1: seemed like. Yeah, the rules are always changing, man, and it's they're tough to keep up with. Like, I guess yeah, in corporate America, they have like comp- entire departments that are just used for compliance, right? So
0: yes, they are. Which actually leads me into my main question for you: is how did you get into financial independence? I know you mentioned on the Bigger Pockets podcast about you didn't like your job and it kind of spurred you into action. But how did you really come across it? And I guess the first steps you took.
1: Yeah. So. I came across financial independence um, back when I was living in California and I just had a job that I absolutely hated. Um, Was working like a Silicon Valley job, VC, venture capital, venture debt type role. I was an analyst, so we would underwrite deals, kind of like think of like a hard money lender, but for startup companies that are losing money every month. And we would provide them like bridge financing to the next round. And my job was to underwrite the companies, take a look at their financial model, take a look at their product take a look at their team and say, hey, are these guys worthy of our debt? Can they service us? And after about six months, that got really old and somehow made it like 18 months. And I just said, F this. Um, started learning about passive income, uh, which then led me to real estate. And then I got onto bigger pockets. And once I learned of house hacking, I was like, okay, this is a no brainer. So I couldn't do it in California. So I moved to Denver and um, got a job with bigger pockets. And then, you know, started house hacking like a month or two right after moving. And um, boom, 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 I've been house hacking every year since.
0: That's awesome. I know you can only do what one property a year by law?
1: One house hack a year. Yeah, you can do as many properties as you want, but one house hack. Um, and so that means you can only put like three or 5% down once a year. And so, you know, I'm going on, I'm, I've, I've completed five house hacks now. That was, that was four years ago. So I'm on my fifth house hack um, four and a, some change years ago. And um, yeah, I mean, now we've got you know, a decent amount of passive income. Um, my girlfriend who, you know, I met along this journey has got two house hacks of her own, maybe looking for her third. And so, uh, you know, we're kind of now tackling this thing together. And it's just been, it's been really fun. And it's just fun to see it grow. You know, that first property that I bought for 385000 back in 2017, which, which felt like I was crazy overpaying for it, is now worth like 600 something. You know, so it's, it's just crazy to see, you know, all the growth that's happened.
0: Yeah. And on those properties, did you do conventional loans or any FHA?
1: So the first one I did FHA because it was a duplex. And then every one thereafter, I did 5% conventional. Cause I bought a single families after that.
0: Okay. That makes sense. When I was looking with Joe Sadusky, we were doing FHA loans. And then I looked at the closing costs and I was like, yeah, I think we should do conventional 5% down. I mean, bank of America. Have you heard of their grant programs?
1: Yeah. They like do, they offer like, what is it? 10 grand or something?
0: Yeah. So back in Jersey, I was about 12 to $13,000 uh, with grants from bank of America. And it, spurred me to take action and i i've been referring my clients to bank of america because i don't really know any other banks that are able to give those types of grants
1: yeah so so sorry my voice is like raspy right now but um yeah i've heard of that bank of america program and i heard it's quite good the only downsides i've heard of it is like you really do have to be like a square peg in a square hole kind of thing like they're not very good at like if you've got one little thing that's wrong like if you're not like a w-2 employee that you know or look or maybe back exactly like your, your financials are relatively simple. They may not work with you. And that's the experience that I've had with them, but maybe you had a better banker.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose I did then. Um, yeah, it was yeah. a good experience overall, but yeah, the grants helped tremendously because cash flow for me is king and I'm sure it is for you as well. It's taking the burden off of you is huge. And I feel like doing a lot of research prior to this about you, I feel like we all know about the house hack, We've read the book, heard you talk about it. But I'm really curious about your real estate agent team, how you yeah. started with. I know you're doing a couple of deals a mm-hmm. month, but a lot of new agents, myself included, try to learn more about starting a business because it's not complicated, but it's not easy. So my question for you is, what would you recommend doing, and what led you to getting two deals a month to begin with, and then building a team?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, what led me to get two deals a month to begin with was I was writing for the bigger pockets blog. I've got about 60 blog posts written for them over the course of maybe two years. And I did that with absolutely no intent on monetizing, no intent on just nothing except just providing value and wanting to get my thoughts down on paper or whatever, the proverbial paper, which is now the internet. Um, And as I was writing, people were commenting and and they seemed to like my stuff a lot. Um, And so it was fun. I was commenting and commenting back and interacting and all that. And so after two years of that, I had the opportunity to write the book on house hacking. And then I wrote the book on house hacking. I went on the podcast and all that good stuff. And I became known as like the house hacking guy. And so because I happened to have my license, um, my original thought was I did not want to be a real estate agent. I only wanted to work for me. And so I, as an investor. And so that's what I did for like a year. And then I had my buddy was be like, hey, do you, you want to like help me find a house? I know you don't like to do so with other people, but I'd love to use you. I was like, right, yeah, what the heck? I'll try it out. So tried it out. Thankfully, my buddy was pretty easy to work with. And I was like, wow, that was like maybe 10, 15 hours of work. And I just made $10,000 off of it. Like, that's a pretty good dollar per hour. And so I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just start taking on more clients. So I started taking on more and more people. And that, that ended up being about, you know, people would reach out to me like twice a month. And that's that's pretty, it's a pretty good business right there. If I could just do two a month by myself. And uh, then I was like, okay, if I can do two a month by myself while working, you know, that is literally like almost triple what I'm making at my my job. So if I can just like quit my job and close maybe an additional eight people per year and actually make a business out of this, then I could totally crush it. And so that first year, I remember going on a podcast, telling them my goals for my first year and said I wanted to close 30 deals and then be like, oh, well, I don't think you'll do that. And I was like, I think I can. And I ended up closing 95 deals that year. And so I was just, yeah, that was last year, 2020. And so I was literally running around like a chicken with my head cut off last year. Like, showing houses writing contracts calling new people making sure deals went through helping all everybody out with their house hacks like we i was more than just an agent our teams are more than just agents we're consultants we help you get through your house hack um coach guide mentor give you all the tools you need like everything you need we got it and so there was just a lot going on and so at the end of the year i was like man like i need to either quit or start a team and so I've got, I had a few clients that purchased their property that, you know, I guess they like me for some reason or the other and, uh, want to, you know, wanted to kind of partner up and was like, okay, yeah, you could be an agent on our team. And so I just kind of started creating this team. Um, and, and we're all like our team is all investor friendly agents. Um, you have to have an investment property to be on our team and we have a community, we have meetups like once a week where we all get together and anyone can come clients, people, whoever whoever's in their area can come and we just chat real estate, right? And it's fun. We're building a community. We help, again, we help coach, guide and mentor everybody. I think that's like the difference that, you know, we do than many other realtors do is that like, we really are, I just feel like we're really providing way more value than you know, what 99% of other realtors are doing.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point too. The fact that your team is all practitioners. You're not just, Selling people properties, your people who have either house hacked or bought properties of your own, and are you only working with investors or just all clients in general? Uh,
1: we work with all clients, so we actually do have a residential team as well. Um, however, our investor team is, is the largest team, and it's where we do like ninety-five percent of our business. However, there is you know clearly some space to be to be had in the residential space that we are going to be uh, you know tackling here in the next that that's like next on our plate is getting into the residential stuff.
0: Okay, nice. And then over the next, I remember you mentioned on the Bigger Pockets podcast you think it could be a bit silly about setting five-year, ten-year goals. But over the next five to ten years, where do you see this team going? If you have a vision for it,
1: yeah, man, I'm not much of a five to ten-year goal setter. Um, I would say you know it would be great. Our our big, hairy, audacious goal for our team is to reduce the U.S. retirement age, you know, from sixty-five to fifty-five. And so. Our goal is really to help people achieve financial independence through real estate investing. Um, you know, we, we do that a lot through the real estate being kind of like the, our, our real estate team is kind of like that one-on-one mentorship and all clients can talk to me too. I talk to almost all of our clients if they, if they wish to chat and I'm always at the meetup so they can talk to me then too. Um, but not only that, but you know, we're trying to educate people, not just in our market, right? And that's through the book, through our podcast, through, the, through our course, uh, through just a bunch of different other things, and eventually we're gonna mo- we're gonna hopefully have our real estate team kind of around the country, and uh, hopefully that'll that'll be a big help in you know achieving that overarching big hairy audacious goal.
0: Is that coming from Vivid Vision?
1: Uh, so big hairy audacious goal comes from uh, Jim Collins' book Good to Great, I think, mm. um, but I have read Vivid Vision, and um, I, I, I that was more of a personal. That, I did like a personal vision when I read that book more than like mm-hmm. the business vision, but the business vision, you know, that, that's what we're seeing for now. Right. But again, dude, like five years, so many things could happen. Five years ago, I wasn't even investing in real estate. Right. So like, you yeah. know, who, who who knows what's going to happen in five years.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong. You're 28.
1: Yep. Yeah, 28.
0: 28. Okay. So the fact that you have 20 units before age 30, I'm sure your retirement age is looking like it's going to be before 55. But that's that's a very respectable goal to reduce the average retirement age from sixty-five to fifty-five. Are you keeping track of these metrics with your clients? Uh,
1: So it seems to be going up, right? Like the U.S. retirement age. I think they're thinking about pushing it to sixty-seven. And obviously, like this financial independence community and this real estate community and the people listening to this podcast, it's a very um, it's a very like subset of people. And so we could all retire at thirty. And still barely make a dent, right? And that's kind of the point. That's kind of what I, my thought is: is that if we can just make a larger dent in in the education system of the United States and actually get people thinking about financial dependence and thinking about how to manage their money, it almost feels like it's like when when, when, when we talk, right? Because you seem like you're quite young too. Um, you thinking like retire at fifty five? Like no way, right? Like you're probably thinking thirty or thirty five, um, and so. Uh, yeah. I just think like kind of get, just spreading that message out to to the to the masses. I think is huge.
0: Yeah, it's it's a good point. For me, it's not even about retirement anymore because consuming your content, David Green, all the guys over at Bigger Pockets. I don't really want to retire. Like that's not the vision for myself because I love to work and I love to get after it. But just creating the cash flow to cover my expenses is huge. And I gotta say, I made a mistake in renting here in Charleston. I think it was the right call in terms of saving money, leaving a W-2 job with a salary, a company car. I not really want to put a big lump sum down as a down payment, but I'm curious about your point of view. My lease ends in August of 2022. Being an agent, what would you recommend in terms of looking at properties, running deals,
1: any daily habits that I should be doing it any agents for that matter. Um, so if you're a real estate agent, you need to be doing lead generation every day. I tell my team this probably every time I talk to them. There's nothing more important than your lead generation. And whatever that may be, right, um, there's millions of strategies. Some for, for some people, it's content creation. For some people, it might be, I don't know, cold calling or door knocking or flyers or whatever, like whatever it is, right? But you should spend at least two hours a day, every day, doing lead generation. Cause if you're not doing that, then what the hell are you doing?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I read that you could be the greatest real estate agent or any lawyer account, whatever in the world, but if you can't do lead generation, you don't have a business and I guess that's my question for you is what are your main strategies that you hone in on to generate leads?
1: Uh, yeah. So the big, big thing is, is going on podcasts, right? Um, going on podcasts. Uh, the book is really good. We just really try to provide value in any way possible. So, uh, content through Instagram, content, through podcast, content through video. Um, we have a lot of people are, are very active on bigger pockets. Um, you know, anyone, anytime Denver's mentioned, we've got one of our agents on it, you know, asking their questions, trying to set up a call, like, and, and it's not to get their business. It's not, it's, it's just to, to understand who they are. Right. Um, we throw their meetups or we throw our meetups, uh, and, and all, it's just stuff like that. Right. Um, and all, we really try to go, do kind of the more modern day approach of Legion. We're like, we don't cold call. We don't send flyers. We don't go door knocking. Um, we're just trying to provide value and, um, and, and then let people come to us. And it, and it seems to be working pretty well.
0: That's awesome. And all your agents, I know you mentioned they own property whether house hack or not, are there any agents on your team that are new to the city and maybe door knocking might appeal to them rather than content creation for a broad audience?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't knock any of it, right? Uh, if, if someone wants to really do door knocking or do cold calling, go for it. We've got scripts. Like I, my team, like I, we have resources as, a, as our team. We've got scripts for you for sure um, and they work and they're good. Um, I've had my mentors look over them. Um, But a lot of people, especially people our age, have trouble picking up the phone and actually making those phone calls. Like it's a very heavy task for them. And it's one of those things where it's like, you're gonna pick up the phone, talk to so many people, and you're just gonna like get crapped all over, right? And it just like totally kills your ego and your energy and you're not gonna wanna work anymore. But like, you know, making your first video is like kind of fun. And then like seeing the progression is kind of fun for a lot of people or like get on an Instagram and like doing an Instagram live. Like that's fun. Or getting on podcasts or getting on bigger pockets and actually talk to, talking to people or going to our meetups. Like that's fun. So I really try to promote like do the fun things because that's what's going to keep you going. No one wants to be like gone are the days where you're doing jobs that you hate just to get paid. Like do something that's fun so you can do it for a long time and be sustainable and you can do it well.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. My first three weeks here, I'm new. Like I said, I'm from New Jersey, just moved to Charleston. I knew one person coming into it. So I knew it was a big task that I was taking on. And I was calling people, cold calling, for sale by owners, local businesses, and nothing. Maybe I'll get crapped on here and there, but no business, right? So I took on door knocking as not just like, hey, I'm a realtor, but more along the lines of I'm holding an open house here, handing it to the neighbors. And uh, one thing I noticed is that these people, when you knock on their door and you're face to face are much friendlier than they would be over the phone.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and and again, it takes that courage, like walk up to someone's door and knock on it. Right. Especially in this day and age. Um, but I think that's great. I think, I think door knocking is in, in, in coming at it, giving value versus wanting their business, right? Like, Hey, just wanted to let you know. I don't, I don't know. Like, did did you know that your house is worth like this much? Or I, I, you know, I I don't have the script in front of me for the door knocking to make it not sound salesy, but like, how do you kind of like become friends with these people and give this person some value? Um, You know? And I think, I think that's, that's really the biggest thing is how can you provide value to others?
0: That's the biggest mindset shift. I think for anyone in any industry is how can I provide value rather than how can I get it? So that's, one thing I definitely try to ask, because, I mean, I, I heard about door knocking before getting into this industry. I was like, why would anyone do that? It's annoying. But a lot of neighbors actually like hearing about open houses and they check it out. And you offer, you know, I'll have champagne, I'll have Cinnabons, I'll have food before the game on Sunday type of thing. And mm-hmm. that's actually one thing I was thinking about recently was creating market reports for that neighborhood. And the goal of any open house is not to sell the house that you're in, but rather to generate leads and maybe even get a listing. So yeah. it's it's very interesting being in real estate ever coming from a corporate job because every lead was brought to you back there, at least. Yep. yep. Just yep. here you exactly. got to go for yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the glory of it is that, you know, every lead was brought to you, but you're probably not getting paid nearly as much um and open house strategy is something that we're really pushing to that's a phenomenal way just get go find someone that's holding an open house or that's not holding holding open house and ask them to hold an open to hold to hold an open house for them everyone's going to say yes to that right like you're not going to pay me i'm just going to go there i'll come get your signs put them out i'll sit in your house for a couple hours people come in and out answer any questions and you will might have five ten fifteen people that come in and out those are all potential clients for sure yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, I think one of the things you mentioned earlier is it's all about discomfort, right? Knocking on someone's door isn't exactly comfortable, but at the same time, it's one thing I talk a lot about is getting uncomfortable. And i read that in your book as well. What are you willing to trade for comfortability? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious outside of business and real estate, what do you do on a daily, weekly basis to get yourself uncomfortable, whether it's physical or anything like that?
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, one thing I, I, I do and I continue to try to do, it's actually getting harder and harder, is um, the miracle morning. Uh, so I try to wake up by at least 5 a.m. every day, sometimes 4.30. And I've got like a three or four hour morning routine. Like I wake up at, let's say, 5. I'm really not sitting down for work until about 10 a.m. After I do my, you know, my reading, my meditation, my affirmations, my my workouts, like all that stuff. Uh, come. I'm like, all right, so... That's something that's hard because it's a good amount of time, but it really does keep me mentally stable as well as physically fit. Um, i doing an Ironman in May. So that is very far out of my comfort zone. Um, and for those that may not know, an Ironman is a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, and a 26.2-mile run back-to-back-to-back to back to back in the same day. I've never done one of those things. So, um, you know, it should be fun. Um,
0: yeah. That is awesome. I'm actually training for an Ironman as we speak. Oh, no it's, way. Uh, Which one are you doing? So there's going to be one down south in Charleston coming up. I believe it's in June. Uh, but, yeah, I've been training for that. The marathon in Charleston is in January. Uh, I did my first sprint triathlon back in July. But have you ever read the book Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins? Yep. Did that That's kind of open book. that world to you or no?
1: Uh, I definitely was inspired to sign up for a triathlon before that, uh, after reading that, but I never, or listening to it actually, I never actually, I never actually did. Um, there's actually this like group of men that I'm part of. Um, and, and we kind of promote physical fitness as a, one of our pillars. And they said like, you know, if you can hike these 14ers in Colorado, which are like peaks above 14,000 feet, then you can do an Ironman. So you're young, you might as well do it while you can. Um, and because there's, it's a big time suck. And once you start having kids and all that, like it's going to be really, really hard to do it. So, I figured, hey, if there's any time to do it, it's gonna be now. And uh, so, you know, that's that was kind of my motivation. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I think that fitness and business are viewed as separate. But for me, when you go do these triathlons or you're swimming 2.4 miles, you gotta stay composed when you're feeling extremely tired and that helps in business, I'm sure. And uh, sure. I'm curious, have you done any other triathlons or long distance before?
1: Literally nothing. Uh, the longest I've ever run, it's probably like 7 miles. Um the longest I've I've done a bike ride that's probably like 85 miles. Um I did a rag brai, which if you're from Iowa you know this, it's a it's a bike ride across Iowa. It's a huge thing in Iowa, but if you're not from Iowa you may never have heard of it. Um it's a super fun thing. It's like a but you know, you ride in, you know, I think the longest day was like 85 miles. So
0: Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. I respect you going right for the big one, the Ironman. So like first I started with a yeah. sprint triathlon and it was, it was tiring. It was time consuming. Next is the Olympic, the marathon, and then the Ironman, but you just decided to go right for it.
1: I I don't want to do that stuff twice, man. I don't like to do to run and sort of the thought of like doing a half Ironman and then having to do a full one is like, that means I have to do 1.5 Ironmans in my life. Like now nah, I'm good with one. Uh, and so let's go for it. It's going to be a freaking hell of a day but you know a few days later you'll feel all right
0: and how much time are you dedicating a day towards training
1: Uh, i try to do a lift in the morning for about an hour to an hour and a half and then i try to do maybe an hour workout in the afternoons or evenings
0: oh wow so Um, you're lifting you're lifting in conjunction
1: yeah because dude you have to lift while you're like I, i stopped lifting while running and uh my my knee started to kill and my hip started to hurt and I was just doing some research and I was like, yeah, your muscles are weakening. So it's pulling on your tendons, which is making your knees hurt. So like lifting is actually a very crucial part of your training, just injury prevention.
0: That's great to know. I, I'm literally coming off an injury right now because I've just been running and biking and swimming, not lifting. Yeah, I'm um, on my left side.
1: Yeah, dude. It see, ben, you got to stretch. Uh, make sure, you know, you're, I, I roll out every day, uh, stretch every day, lift every day. Uh, all of it is super important, um, especially your legs.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we're going to be doing see yeah, our legs are rather important.
1: Yes, very much so. Yeah, man. And
0: I'm curious, you mentioned meditation. Uh, it's one thing I'm very big on because I'm sure you have a lot going on and it could be easy to let your mind go crazy. So you meditate in the morning. Is there any program or YouTube video that you watch or how do you go about it?
1: Oh Yeah, I've been getting into, uh, what's it called here, um, the Calm app. Um, so yeah, I do that for about 10 minutes. Uh, I do like 10 or 15 minutes every morning. Um, just enough to like kind of just start my day off kind of nice and quiet. Um, would love to do more, honestly, but I don't know. It, the, I don't know. I, I should do more. There, there's not really an excuse. I just like don't want to do more at this point, um, but it, it would be a challenge for me to do more.
0: Nice man, and you're reading in the morning as well. What are you currently reading?
1: Uh, right now, I'm reading. So I'm reading a book and listening to a book. Um, I'm reading a book called uh, The Fourth Turning, which is a really fascinating book. It is all about how, from like the 1500s, basically as far back in history as they can like actually recall, to now, there are basically four like basically like four generations of people. For every generation is a different kind of type of person and it just kind of goes in these cycles of and it kind of explains like where we are now where we're going to be in the next 20 years where we're going to be in the 20 years after that just based on the cyclicality of of human nature and it's crazy the dude wrote this book in 1997 he basically predicted the financial crisis in 2008 he said we'd have some sort of crisis in 2005 2006 and then another one probably around 2000 in, in like the late like late teens, early twenties. And like, I don't know, just kind of crazy, right? It's like, okay, we had the financial crisis and now we've got COVID. Like, I don't know. It it was almost like crazy to think about how, um, how accurate this guy has been. Um, and then the other one is the coddling of the American mind. Have you heard of that one? I've not. You're not. That's another really good one. Um, you know, it's, it, it, it could be contra- could be considered controversial, but he makes really good points about how people today are just too soft, and you know all of this name calling and all of these movements. Um, this may be a little bit controversial, um, but like you know the Me Too movement and all the Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. It's like you know when there's violence, that's a thing, it, and there has been violence, and that's when it when it becomes strong. But when it's just name calling. He said, she said, all this LGBTQ, all all the stuff where it's just like, you know, like you don't, how do I describe this? Like don't let what someone else calls you affect you, right? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt me. Something that I grew up saying all the time, right? But we seem to have forgotten that because like names hurt more than anything these days. They hurt more than sticks and stones and um, how, how that's just kind of crippling a lot of productivity in, in america and it's really interesting um i highly recommend it
0: yeah i'm definitely gonna be checking that out because my dad and i have conversations all the time about you know how soft things have become and uh i feel like i mean you're doing an iron man so for me personally training this hard and being this busy i feel like if people just had these goals and were busy and getting after it they wouldn't be as easily offended they wouldn't have the time to be as easily offended
1: Yeah. That's, that's definitely one thought. Um, It's just, it's crazy how, I mean, you think about where we've come just in the last like 50 years of like, you know, he talks, they talk a lot about like masculinity and femininity femininity and how the the men are becoming more feminine and the women are becoming more masculine and how that actually has a, a really can have a really bad impact on society because when men become more feminine, they're less likely to produce. And the same thing when, when females become more masculine, they're less likely to reproduce. And like, how do you keep a human, how do you keep our species alive? It's like what we need to do is eat, sleep, and reproduce. And yeah. um and it's just really interesting kind of the parallels uh that they draw. And um yeah, I, I just think, you know, I think everyone needs to toughen up a little bit and uh you know, don't get don't get so offended by every little thing you hear on the news. Yeah.
0: It's it's fun. Did you watch the Dave Chappelle
1: Netflix special? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Les, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have you watched it? Yeah, I watched it. I watched it twice.
0: I watched it last night again because I saw an article that, like, Channing Tatum had come out and commented. So I was like, "Was it really that bad?" I re I rewatched it. I understand why people are angry because, like, people are generally a lot of people are soft and easily offended,
1: but I feel like it's all about the intent behind it. He wasn't trying to hurt anyone no he's trying to be funny uh and there's a little bit of truth to it i think like you know it's it, it is like a huge a huge movement and in the, the whole thing he says like i don't, I don't maybe we shouldn't dive into that into that skit but like um you know there there's just a lot of things that he said that are like okay like that actually kind of makes sense in a funny way um but again if you're offended by that like go home you know like he's just doing it for entertainment
0: yeah. So I think it's a good point that you make there too, because I think I heard Joe Rogan say it's like a media diet. If you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. It's like food. You know, if you don't yeah. like
1: broccoli, don't eat it. You don't need to. But people love hungry. it, dude. People love being offended. People love like literally like Facebook has these algorithms, right? That promote negative content. Cause people love negative stuff. They love to feel offended. They like that. I swear to God, they like it. And, uh, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. I, I just laugh at it at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, hey, I, I got no problem with any, any type of person in general. Uh, I, I love everybody, uh, but I just don't think, you know, you're not going to get any sympathy from me if you're offended because someone said something to you. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And
0: you said it's a coddling of the American mind. Who
1: is it written by? Uh, shoot. I don't know. I, it's funny. I, I read on the Kindle, Okay. uh greg lukianoff and jonathan hate um okay h-a-i-d-t um really good it's really really good
0: nice man well i know we've here a little bit off talk but it's very interesting yeah. i'm definitely gonna be checking that book out but and i'm curious what role does your mindset play like i know you said you won't really be giving sympathies to people who are complaining and i think that's a mark of a high achiever, people who don't give themselves sympathy, you know, don't say, oh, it's it's unfair, victim mindset. What role did that play in your growth and in your business's growth as well?
1: I think it's super easy to point fingers at others, right? You know, whatever it is, my, my parents didn't teach me this, or my teachers never taught me that, or my my boss is a jerk or whatever, right? But it's like, Stop pointing the finger and point the thumb, right? Like what can you do to change the way th- that your life is, right? Like, like the only person responsible for your life is yourself. And so what can you do? Um, start reading these books. Start listening to podcasts just like this one. Start like educating yourself so you can figure your way out. Like I, people were born in different circumstances. And you're when you're born, you're dealt with a separate different set of cards. Someone born with, you know, Million millionaire parents and in, in a nice neighborhood, right? Is dealt a different set of cards than someone who is poor, grown up in the ghetto, right? But it doesn't mean that that kid in the ghetto. I know plenty of kids that have grown up in the ghetto that are extremely successful today, and I know plenty of kids with really successful parents that are complete shitheads today. And so it, it's not like figure like again, you got to figure. You have to really want to be successful, and like. Just push towards it, man. I don't know if that's a good enough answer, but uh, I think education's the biggest thing and then taking action after your education.
0: And by education, do you mean like school or self-education?
1: That's a good question. It depends on what you want. Uh, I think if you want to be in real estate or you want to be an entrepreneur or a business owner or um, financially independent, uh, I think self-education is the best thing. And YouTube University and podcasts and books, there's tons of content on it. If you yeah, want um, to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, you got to go to school. So go to school.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. I say it all the time, but I'd say 90 to 95% of the information I use on a daily basis, is self-education. I mean, I went to Penn State. It's a great school. But at the same time, they're getting you a degree to get a job. And I was working at a big corporation uh, for a year. And uh, I think the model of college education could be a bit outdated just based off how expensive things have become. But you're right. If you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, then yes, school is necessary.
1: Yeah. You know, school, school is it, like you said it, man, it, it just be, makes you become a great employee, right? Like think about how school is structured. You have a curriculum that you must follow. You have to read the book. The teacher tells you to read. You have a test and the teacher tells you the answers before or whatever, through the textbook. And you have to Respond to those answers the way the teacher tells you in order to get a good grade. Like everything is based on what the teacher tells you. The teacher is your boss. and That's how they train you for corporate America. Like any, many, I, I was a decent student, I'll admit. I, I did good. I did the corporate thing for a while. Um, but a lot of my friends and people that are very, I know that are very successful were not great students because they always challenge the teachers, they challenge the status quo. And that is who a lot of the most successful people are.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Growing up, I always thought that the kids who just got C's and D's were going to be nobodies. But in reality, school is not for everyone. And I'm very similar to you in that regard. I was a good student. And now I went to a good school. I got a good job Went the corporate America route. But I would say I'm still rewiring my brain because there are some traits I have that are employee based. And it's transitioning from the W2 to the business owner mindset. I'm curious how long did that take you? I'm sure it's, you're still developing always, but what was the toughest part of overcoming that W2 mindset?
1: I don't think I ever had a W2 mindset, honestly. Um, wow. Both my parents are entrepreneurs. Uh, even in school, I just knew what it took to get good grades and knew, knew I needed to get good grades and that would be better for me later. But once I graduated, I was like, I know that like, I do not want to do this forever. And I just, like can't, have this guy tell me what to do. Like, I hated being bossed around, hated sitting at my desk until 6 p.m., even though I was done with my work at 3 p.m. Like, it was just such BS. Um, And so, that's you know, there's two types of C students, right? There are hardworking C students that are actually trying to, you know, maybe they're doing businesses outside of school or maybe they're playing sports or there's hardworking ones. And then you've got like your, you know, your pothead teenagers or whatever, Right. And those kids honestly may not be going going very far. Um, but like if you've gotten C's because like you just aren't good at school, but you're hardworking, I think that'll get you much farther. And I learned, I think that uh, like I wasn't the smartest kid. Like I always, sorry, I'm going on a rant, rant here. But like, um, you know, the, the SATs or ACTs or these standardized tests, I always say they measure intellect. Whereas your GPA really measures your heart, your, your work ethic and your grit. And so my GPA was like a 4.2. Like I worked my ass off in school to get good grades. My, my SAT scores were like 50th percent. It was like low, like 60th percentile or something relative to my GPA. Like my friends who thought I was smarter than them got way better than me on the SATs. And that's just because I worked my ass off. And I think that is a true testament to entrepreneurship is like, are you ready to work your ass off? Like there's no nine to five. We're recording this here at 545 Mountain Time wherever you are, man, it's, you're in Charleston, it's like seven, eight o'clock, right? Like you're working late, right? So that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's, uh, I mean, you're always working in one way or another, whether you're brainstorming ideas for your business, you're recording a podcast, you're actually going into business for lead generation. And it's, uh, I mean, I'm enjoying it though. Like I did a year of corporate and I hated every second of it, but I stayed there because I had a signing bonus. And that's what they do to you. They give you a signing bonus and they keep you there,
1: but yeah, the golden handcuffs.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So it's. I mean, I'm enjoying this stuff. So it's. It doesn't really feel like work and connecting with like-minded people. It's. Uh, it's what it's all about. I feel like.
1: For sure, man. That's that's it. It's connecting with people, finding a community, and I would say, you know, your your first step to doing this is find yourself a group of friends that are doing what you want to be doing. Uh, I, I moved from San Francisco to Denver and I wiped the site clean. Like, literally, like I was like, okay, I'm going to, I was like uh, going out every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night in San Francisco, like one of those party animal, young, profession, young professional uh, type people. And then I, I moved out to, Cal, to Colorado and I was like, literally, the only friends I want to make are real estate friends. And so that's what I did. Like, all of my friends the first few years. Just real estate, real estate meetups and all that. We're still tight today. They're crushing it. Uh, I think I'm doing okay. And, um, you know, and that's who you surround yourself with. That's who your friends become.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'm uh, stepping back from the whole party scene myself because, I mean, one, it's expensive. And two, you spend the whole next day hungover and you can't be very productive when you're hungover. So it's, uh, I feel like it's not talked about enough, the impact of partying and your business and your mental health, because those two go hand in hand.
1: For sure, yeah man, drinking uh, will destroy you, uh, your, your mind, your body, your bank account. Uh, and I'm not saying don't drink, um, but I did take 15 months off from drinking uh, when I moved to Denver. I didn't drink for like over a year, not a drop. And uh, that's when I really propelled my career. Um, and it's not that hard to do. You just have to, you have to make the decision that you're not drinking before you get to the bar. I would still go to the bar. I just wouldn't drink at the bar. Um,
0: yeah, that's interesting too, because as a real estate agent your job is to go out and meet people and social places like a bar could be a great place, but it takes some serious discipline to go to a bar and not drink anything for 15 months.
1: For sure. I mean, the biggest thing is you have to already decide that you're not drinking, right? Like there's such thing as decision fatigue, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, and if you've already decided that you're not drinking, then there's no decision to be made. You're just not drinking. You tell people you don't drink. And these days, people don't really pressure you. Like, if they don't know you, they're just like, oh, good for you, whatever. And they have, they have a sip of their beer, right? Um, like, no, no one bothered me about it, really. Um, I caved because I was traveling. And I was like, you know what, whatever. I've done it for 15 months. And I knew I would not drink ever again. But now I drink very, very little, very, very little.
0: That's awesome. And it's it's funny you mentioned that. I always thought that the concept of peer pressure was not a thing because I don't know about you, but I've never really seen peer pressure in person. And I don't, I feel like it's not even really a thing now. Like no one's going to the bars and be like, oh, you're soft. You're not drinking. It's more of like a, yeah, like you said, you know, it's yeah, good for you, man.
1: Uh, yeah. Wait, your, your friend, sorry, you cut out a little, little bit there. Your friends said that to you?
0: No, what I'm saying is I feel like I've never seen peer pressure in person. I feel like it's not really a thing. Yeah people are more like respect, you know, good for you for not drinking.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think it's, I think it's, I agree. Like I think outwardly they say that, but people feel like internally, maybe they're being judged or they don't fit in as well or everyone else is doing it. So I should do it too. Kind of thing. Um, Versus like the traditional, like, come on, man, it's all the cool kids are doing. Like I I don't, I've never seen that, you know?
0: Yeah. No, me neither. And it's, I feel like that's a, trait of just pure discipline because I've never gone that long without drinking. I mean, I've cut down significantly, but how else has discipline, like true discipline impacted you in your business?
1: Uh, So true discipline. I mean, I would say, um, you know, that the miracle morning is one thing that I always go back to as being disciplined with um, because I do, I do writing my miracle morning. And oftentimes I'm writing um, a a book, you know, part of a book, uh, a blog post. Or something like that. And as they do that, like that, that's what started the business at the end of the day it was like me writing those blog posts for bigger pockets. Uh, and so that was consistency. Like every single day I was writing those blog posts, I was reading books. Um, you know, it's just, it's just like having a big enough why to propel you forward. Like I wanted to achieve financial independence so badly at a young age that like nothing was gonna get in my way. And I was just trying to like optimize every single thing that I could, right? much that like as you know like slept behind a curtain and dried my clothes on a drying rack even in the middle of the winter like just like this cut my sponges in half like i still do that because i just actually like half sponges but that's besides the point (laughs) uh you know like uh there's like just silly stuff like that that i was that i was doing that that would just like optimize my way to financial independence And, and then i hit financial independence um maybe after two two and a half years and uh it's like okay like now what like now we can maybe start having a little bit of luxury right uh, I can start like you know now i I house tax still but I, I have my own space and I just rent the basement out um, we buy organic foods we have we eat a lot of supplements like like there's a lot of things that like I never just spend money on but now I'm spending a decent amount of money on those things and um it, it's 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 more fun that way like that's that's what we want that's what we're working towards so
0: Yeah, now I can tell you supplements are important, especially if you're doing an Ironman. uh, Yeah. It's underutilized, really. For sure. Oh, we are supplement junkies. That's for sure. That's good stuff, man. Well, I just got four final questions for you. One, if you were to give yourself advice, I know you're 28 years old, but if you were to give your 25-year-old self advice, knowing what you know now, what would you say?
1: I would say don't be afraid to think bigger uh i definitely you know house hacking is is a great thing and i think everyone should do it right but like i got into you know trying to burr out in jacksonville florida which there's literally my next books about this because it was a total shit show um you know buying single families out in north carolina which is fine but maybe not the best return but now i'm like really interested in the commercial stuff and i'm like why didn't i just do this like from the beginning Right, like I've probably got a couple hundred grand invested in those properties. I could have bought me a commercial property, that would probably make me more money, and um, would be way easier to manage and all that stuff. So I'd say, like, just don't be afraid to think bigger sooner. And again, I still house like I think house hacking makes so much sense because it's such a high return on investment. It comes to other types of investing.
0: Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Sorry, did, right, that, okay. did I cut yeah, out? No. Yeah, no worries. Awesome. Yeah, no, it's commercials investing is something that's really interesting to me. Out of curiosity, is it looking for like a triple net lease, those type of buildings?
1: Yeah, triple net lease. That's what, we're, that's what I'm looking for.
0: And the book, what's the book called?
1: So the book, uh, the title hasn't really been named yet, but the draft is done. Um, I'm thinking it's going to be like, Why Real Estate Sucks and how to make it not suck because it's all about my like really shitty uh jacksonville deal that i did and everything that i did wrong it's kind of more of like a novel like i kind of like take you through the novel aspect of it and then kind of like show you everything i've done wrong and then how i got out of that situation and made it right and now you know now it's sold and stuff but we still lost a lot of money on it so okay
0: well that's a great title it's gonna grab people's attention so i do respect that but yeah it's going like on me, about the but- yeah, no, I mean that's what you got to do, right? My no, <laughs> yeah. question to you is, uh, what has been the most impactful book, business, spiritual, or
1: otherwise, that's impacted you in your life? I mean, it's got to be, you know, I talked about it a bunch: the Miracle Morning, um, the Miracle Morning, or the Four Hour Work Week. Uh, two books. The Four Hour Work Week opened my mind to like passive income over expenses is is what you need to do to achieve financial independence. Uh, the miracle morning is like the number one thing that I've implemented that has helped me get there.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've read the four hour work week. Never read the miracle morning yet, but that's on my list. I noticed on your oh, Instagram, you, uh, you were posting about how many books you read in a year. It spurred me to keep track this year. So respect for that.
1: Oh, hell yeah. How many have you read this year so far?
0: 21. I am going to be right. finishing two more this week. So my goal is to get to 30 by the end of the year
1: nice man you should hit that
0: yeah that's the plan it's it's tough but i feel like a lot of people don't really track that kind of stuff and post it on social
1: no it's fun to post it because it's also fun to look back i kind of like it's weird but i like kind of like different books i'm reading kind of like segment like different parts of my life i'm like oh yeah i read that book in this house and wow that read that my other house like this is now i'm in a new house it's weird like when you're house hacking and you're getting like a new thing every year you know, my years kind of divided between two houses usually. Um, so
0: no, I hear you. It's like, well, what was I doing when I was reading that book? What chapter of my life was it when I was reading that chapter, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Nice man. Third question for you. Where is your business going? I know you mentioned commercial real estate, but in terms of real estate agency or any other businesses in that realm, where are you looking to expand?
1: uh yeah so so the real estate agent business uh kind of like we mentioned um you know we're just looking to grow that um we're looking to help more and more people in the greater denver area throughout colorado uh hopefully within the next year we'll be expanding to a couple different other cities and hopefully like i said within the next five years we're kind of all around the country helping people out um as for the real on my real estate investment side um you know i'm gonna keep house hacking probably for another year or two and then um we're going to you know, start going into the commercial stuff and uh, you know, start playing with some, some bigger dollar stuff and uh, you know, just hopefully be a little bit more efficient with it.
0: Nice, man. Final question for you. Who is one role model that you may or may not know that's played a big impact on your life?
1: Sorry, man, you cut out there for a second, but you say who is my biggest role model?
0: Yeah, so you can know him or her. You may not know him or her, but who played a big impact on your life?
1: Yeah, my girlfriend is raising her hand in the background. Um, <laughs> uh, man, it's so tough to say, right? Um, you know, growing up, I would say, uh, this is gonna be kind of sound maybe cheesy, but like Tom Brady and Eminem were like my two biggest role models, um, just because they came from a low, like it's right. It's, it's like I said, like, they came from like kind of low rankings and they made it up to the top. So definitely like that and like their hard work and dedication. Um, in the real estate space, I mean, I think Brandon, um, you know, he was the first guy that I saw on Bigger Pockets and started listening to. Um, he's not only is he like a phenomenal real estate investor, but he's also just like a great dude. Like if you ever meet him in person, he's just like a really humble guy. We'll chat to anybody. We'll give you the time of day, and so I uh, really appreciate that about him. And um, yeah, so I think I think that would be those would be my role models.
0: Nice man, that's awesome. So Eminem, Tom Brady, two goats. I respect that.
1: Yeah, two goats, man.
0: And it hurts me to say it too, because I'm a I'm a Yankees fan. I'm a New York guy. Well, I'm coming from Jersey, but uh, I support the New York teams. So it could be tough for me to say that, yeah. but I gotta acknowledge Brady as a goat.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a asshole. So I'm the opposite side as you. Um, all Boston stuff. So
0: yeah, you guys are spoiled over there. You've been treated to like a championship we, a year. We,
1: Yeah. Growing up for sure. We were like before our child, before me, like the next generation before me though, we hadn't had shit in a long time. So we had like 80 years of catching up to do, which I think we did.
0: Oh yeah. You guys did that for sure. Between the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins. (laughs) Yeah. You guys, you guys cleaned up for two decades.
1: Even the the Red Sox got like four of them. So Um, yeah, yeah, it was fun. It's been a fun 20 years. Yeah.
0: Nice man. Well, Hey, where can people find more about you? Social networks, things like that.
1: Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm at the FI guy, like the financial independence guy. Uh, if you want to work with our team, uh, if you need a, a investor friendly realtor, wherever you are, uh, thefi team.com. uh And then obviously, I wrote the book, The House Hacking Strategy, like you mentioned. So feel free to pick that up. Uh, if you get it on bigger pockets, you get some bonus content and stuff, but um, it's a little cheaper on Amazon if you just want the book itself. So whatever floats your boat.
0: Awesome, man. Yeah, and feel free to uh, leave reviews. I remember you messaged me that back earlier this year. So I left a review. I know the, that really helps out the authors on Amazon, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. The, um, the reviews help out big time on Amazon. Basically, anywhere you could possibly leave a review, like uh, on Amazon, um, on our podcast. Like we have a podcast too. It's called the Five Team Podcast. Um, any, anywhere, reviews would be amazing. <laughs> so, and thanks for awesome. leaving that review, man. Appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Well, hi, hey, Craig. It was really a pleasure talking with you and I'm definitely going to follow up to see how that training with the Ironman is going. Cause I'll be going through it with you as well.
1: For sure, man. Yeah. Hit me up in you know, early next year and I'll let you know. All right, man. Great talking to you. I appreciate you coming on. All right. See you Zach. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye.